Well, again, happy Mother's Day, a fun way to uh, look at some of the things that many of you do every single day. Maybe you saw yourself in some of those clips, and uh, I'm excited uh, today to share a few things with you. You know, I'm not really qualified to talk about being a mom. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but I have been blessed in that I have had a wonderful mom in my life. I, my sister is a great mom. I'm married to a great mom. And uh, so I, get, I have learned a lot from watching, which is uh, one of the best ways of learning is by watching other people. And so I, I'm fortunate that I get to share some of those experiences. Uh, for some of you, I, I had a chance to speak with my mom this morning, and uh, she's in the hospital today again. So if you'll continue to pray for her, uh, she's kind of the same old thing she's been dealing with the last year or so. So, uh, But I did get to, to talk with her, and when I... I answered the phone, or I called, and she answered the phone. Uh, she answered with, Happy Mother's Day. I said, well, Mom, I'm, that's not really for me. It's not really my day, but uh, thanks. Um, but that's just the way my mom is. She so values family and, and time that, um, that her kids call and talk to her. I hope you have a chance to do that for those that still have your mothers here and for those that don't. I hope that what I'm going to share with you today will be something that will encourage you as well. So I looked around and, and tried to figure out, uh, tried to get in the mind of a mom a little bit. I came up with some statistics um, about Mother's Day, not about Mother's Days per se, but about moms in general. This is what I found. I found that uh, most of you are really busy. I didn't have to look very far. I could see that in my own house. 72% of moms that have a children that are over a year old, they work uh, in addition to raising their children. 55% that have a child under a year old work. And those are really amazing moms that are able to pull all of that together. In fact, those of you who do work and have a full-time job, it's estimated that you will spend about 13 hours a week working at the office or at home on family chores in addition to the things that you're going to be doing for your jobs. 13 hours on top of your already busy work schedule. Now, what are you going to do when you're home with your kids? It's estimated, and this is an exhausting figure. I just want you to know that I'm tired even reading it. That by the, your baby's second birthday, you will have changed about 7,300 diapers. 7,300 diapers. Who doesn't want to own stock in Pampers? Seriously. 7,300 diapers, and some of those are worse than others. Some, some of us... Dads can remember that sometimes it takes three diapers and one change if you're not fast enough. So 7,300 diapers by the time that they're their second birthday. Interesting note, moms take on average two minutes and five seconds to change a diaper. Two minutes and five seconds to change a diaper. Dads do it in a minute and a half. I don't know what that says, that dads are better. Or that dads just don't care as much. It's on and he's fine. Get a little duct tape. Duct tape will keep that diaper on. It will not come off. I'm not sure. You probably do a little more care and concern. Get the powder and the lotion and all that out. Dads are just glad they're covered and not coming at them. All right? Women average on, on average about 2.2 hours a day on just regular daily family chores. Men, about half that, 1.3 hours a day. Laundry, 88% is done by moms. That's a little bit low percentage in our house. Totaling 330 loads of laundry, 5,300 articles of clothes every year. That's a lot of laundry. That's a lot of time spending on that. It says that you're, uh, 
tell me if this is true. It says your least favorite chore is vacuuming the stairs. Is that true for anybody? Anybody have a least favorite than that? Laundry? Dishes? Bathroom. Our bathroom, okay. Your kids are not, must not be old enough yet. Our kids do our bathrooms, so uh, you'll get to that point. But Okay, bathrooms are just any chores, right? Anything that has to do with the house, it would be nice if somebody else would do it. All right, so how about this? Because you're so busy, most popular bathroom multitasking chore for moms while you're in the bathroom is reading is the most common. Second is talking on the phone. Third is meditating. Fourth, watching TV. Fifth, drinking coffee. Sixth, eating and balancing the checkbook. I don't know if that's true. It's a, you know, it's a statistic. They can be made to say anything you want. For some of you that feel overwhelmed, is there, are there any moms in the room that feel overwhelmed at times? All right, let me make you feel better about yourself immediately. The most kids reported of any mother, and I cannot say her name, but it looks like it is Miss Vasilev of Russia gave birth to 69 children between the years 1725 and 1765. So, Josh, it's <laughs> Josh, you need to get busy, man. 69 children. 69 children. All right. Oldest mom, this would be the oldest that a female gave birth to a child. The oldest mom, Rosanna Dallacorte, gave birth to a baby boy when she was 63 years old. She was in Italy. She lived in Italy in 1994. For those of you who think you're past your prime, apparently not. You're not. And if you see these cute little babies up here and you're thinking, oh, I, might, I might like to have a baby, then if you're you know, under 60, you're still good. So, And then I know when Deidre gave birth to our oldest son, we thought he was just enormous. He was over 10 pounds and he was enormous. Still is if you haven't seen him recently. The heaviest newborn reported is Signora Carmelina Fidele. I don't know if that's how I'm saying that right. She gave birth to a 22-pound, 8-ounce boy in Italy. Don't go to Italy is the really bottom line here. If you don't want to have a baby at 63 and you don't want to have a 22-pound baby, don't go to Italy. That's just the bottom line. That's what we can learn from this. So those are some fun things. Now, all of your experiences are likely going to be different from what I share, but maybe some of them aren't so much. I know that a lot of you are incredibly busy. I know that uh, the, the number of decisions that Deidre has to make in a day, and no doubt the number of decisions my mother had to make about me and, and uh, whenever she was my primary caretaker, they can be staggering. Sometimes when you're looking at all the things your kids are going through and when they're young, you just want to make sure they don't walk out into traffic. You want to make sure they don't roll off the bed. We weren't really good at not making that, letting that happen. Our kids all rolled off the bed and we looked in horror as they hit the floor. So those are some of the things that you worry about when they're young. Both Jonathan and Jake have cuts in the exact same place over their eye. We didn't learn anything from Jake. Happened to Jonathan. If we have another boy, it'll probably happen to him too, although I don't think that's going to happen. But as they get older, the decisions get harder, don't they? As they get older, then you begin to have to think about where they're going to go to school and how are they going to deal with friends and 
How are they going to deal with the influences of children coming from families that haven't so closely watched and monitored what your kids have been exposed to? And you begin to have some anxiety that builds up. So what I want to do over the next few minutes is I want to go back to a story that we just touched on briefly a few weeks ago when we talked about fear and we were looking at the story of a man named Timothy. And if you'll remember his story about his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Before I do that, Proverbs 22.6 is often an often quoted verse for parents. It says, to train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, those are good words, Right? They're good words similarly to other places in Scripture where we read them and think, but how do we do that, right? One of the most popular proverbs spoken in, on Mother's Day is one of the proverbs that tends to heap the most amount of guilt on mothers because it seems to set a standard that is so difficult to achieve. I know that if my mother was responsible for every one of the decisions that I made, she truly would be a horrible mother. But unfortunately, she can't be held responsible for the decisions that I made, right? But that's not how you feel as a mother, does it? You feel responsible for how they turn out. We're already trying to figure out how to get our kids in the best paying jobs so they can have the biggest house so they can take care of us in the very near future. We're going to move in and we're going to reverse roles at about the age of, uh, you know, 55 should be old enough for me. That's in about 12 years, Emma. Get to work. All right. Training up a child in the way they should go. In this day and time, often we even look at that and think, what does it look like to train them up in the which way should they go? You know, there's so many questions that we answer, and one of the reasons I wanted to, to touch back on this uh, passage in 2 Timothy is because I felt like for us as parents, this is truly where we live our lives. The recognition that there are some lessons we can't teach our kids. They must learn themselves, but the recognition that there are some lessons we must teach them. And we have very few places in Scripture that talk about parents in this way, but this is one of the most wonderful places that you'll find in Scripture that talks about being a mother. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, guard the deposit entrusted to you. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's a great passage of scripture. It's one that is applicable to us today. And before I go on, let me just say that as you're watching the slides go by, we have a new slide operator this morning. Noah Albergati is up there. Everybody give him a hand and some encouragement. All right, we're glad to have you up there, Noah, and appreciate what you're doing for us this morning. We read through the story of Timothy. If you're familiar at all with Paul's letters, you're familiar with Timothy. 
Timothy is found through many of his letters. In fact, he co-wrote or was attributed to co-authoring several of the letters. What's interesting about Timothy and Timothy's relationship with Paul is that Paul, from all accounts, had a relationship with Timothy's mother and grandmother before he ever knew Timothy. Timothy was a young man whenever he traveled with Paul and he had a great influence over many cities and many churches all around the area. If we read a little bit about him, what you'll find is that Timothy's mother, Eunice, was a Jew. His father was a Greek or what you may read in your version as a Gentile, someone who's not a Jew, not a Christian, someone who is of another faith or in, in some form or, or fashion does not follow God. But his mother was a Jew. And apparently his grandmother at some point along the way had a place where she decided she needed to know Christ. He was born in Lystra. This is a place that Paul visited on his many journeys that he had. And no doubt, this was a place where the gospel was not going to many of these Gentile Greek areas except because of Paul and later because of Timothy and Silas and others. It's very likely that Paul had the opportunity to speak to Lois and Eunice at a time before Timothy was either born or before Timothy was at least at a place to have a a real conversation about faith. You know, our kids, when they're young, we can teach them some things. You'll Notice on the walls in some of our younger classrooms that there are some basic lessons we want children to learn, but there are some lessons that they've got to grow and mature before they can possibly grasp. So, you know, dads, don't be taking your babies out there and showing them how to change the oil. They can watch, but don't give them a wrench, you know. It's not going to end well. There are some things you have to grow to learn, and what we see from the life of Timothy is that at some point, Paul likely had the opportunity to lead Lois and Eunice to faith in Christ. Now, because Paul was not a pastor that stayed in a church, in a city, and stayed in that place for long terms, there's a reason that he would be able to look back and make some assumptions about Timothy based on what he knows about his mother. Because he wouldn't have been there for all the time that he was raised. But no doubt he kept up with them and he heard the stories of how Timothy was growing. It's always fun to catch up and to see friends and their kids. We run into each other all the time. And I was at Panera this week and was doing a little bit of work. And a friend came up that I hadn't seen in a while. They have kids about the same age as we do. So we started talking about where our kids were. She was saying where her children were. And uh, two kids are about to graduate college. And one who's driving. And I was like, driving? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, wait a minute. I've got one who's driving now too. You know, it's just... It's fun to catch up with those people that you have known when their children were so young. To watch them grow and to mature, to see the parents continue to invest in them and watch over them. No doubt Paul had the same experience with Lois and Eunice. We know that Eunice at some point truly believed in the faith that she had. Timothy's name literally means one who fears God. That's what Timothy means. We each choose names for different reasons at this time and in this culture and still many times now, people choose names based on their meanings. My hope for Jake when he was born was that his name would be Buck. I wanted it to be Buck. Deidre refused. I said, how great would it be that his name was Buck Love? That is the greatest name that you could have. She said, no. I said, how about Gunter? 
Gunter would be another great name for our child. Nobody, nobody picks on Gunter. Nobody does, and that would be a great name, Gunter Love, or we could combine them. Gunter Bucklove would be a wonderful name. She, in her compassion and grace and foreknowledge, decided that would not be his name, and so it wasn't. But Eunice named Timothy one who fears God. Obviously, she was more spiritual than I was in choosing a name. What we learned about Timothy is that eventually he would become Paul's right hand more than anyone else. In fact, Paul is even quoted as saying, I have no one like Timothy. Now, our purpose today is not to talk about Timothy, but I want you to know where Timothy was at a very early age. As a young man, his faith was so great that people would ridicule him, and Paul said, do not let anybody do that to you because of your age. Now, it would be great to have a sermon with five points that said, this is how you raise a Timothy in your life, and that would be wonderful if we lived in a vacuum and our children could be programmed like a computer, but that's not the way life works. But there are a few things we can learn through this life with Eunice, and I want to pass this on to you and mixed in with a few things I've learned in watching other great mothers. Number one, I believe the most important thing that a mother does is raising a child who loves God. As much as you think it's making sure they have clean clothes, that's not it. It's raising a child who loves God. Now, as we go through these, I want you to understand that you nor I can determine how much our children love God. It is impossible. My children, your children, will have to make the choice for themselves. It's an opportunity that God can show them His love and His mercy in His own way, but they ultimately must choose themselves. There are things, though, that we can do to create a fertile ground for them. What we find for Eunice, number one, is that Eunice was committed to knowing God herself. I know we have a lot of wonderful moms in the room. And here's what I know about watching a lot of you and watching Deidre and women in my own family is that you will give up your own life for your kids no matter what. You'll also give up the time you need to be you and to be a healthy you in order to provide for them for whatever you perceive that they need. It's built into the DNA of a mother. A dad doesn't have this same DNA. He's conspicuously absent from his chromosomal match because he's too busy doing other things, right? God has gifted men to do certain things. And we'll talk about that at Father's Day. Isn't that how this works? And he's gifted women to do other things. One of the things that mothers consistently do is sacrifice everything for their children. And the truth is, you can't do that. Because you can give and give and give. It doesn't matter if you're in a marriage. It doesn't matter if you're in a friendship. It doesn't matter if we're talking about work. You can give and give and give, but you will eventually give out unless you are replenished. What often happens is that we're so busy giving out and giving out and making sure they're taken care of and we're making sure that their needs are met and we're making sure that they're not hurt or disappointed in anything that... We begin to get empty ourselves, and I watch mother after mother begin to fall into this because they're so trying to make life perfect for their child that they've neglected themselves. We can see in this story that Eunice did not neglect 
herself. Her faith was strong. Paul even said, I know the faith of your mother. She took time to love God herself. For many of you, when you're struggling with what do we do now, what is this next challenge we have to face, let me encourage you to be committed to knowing God yourself. When you are committed to knowing God yourself, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to parent on another level. But you have to know Him yourself. So I thought through some of these, and I'm, I just ask you the question, how are you taking care of your own growth in the midst of changing 7,300 diapers? That's unbelievable. And that doesn't even count the ones that are projectiles. Because then you've got to change the clothes too. Changing diapers. How are you taking time to care for your growth in helping with homework? And yes, you're not as smart as you were when you were in high school because you can't remember any of that stuff. Are you taking care of your own growth when you're helping a child that's hurt? How are you caring for your own growth when you're driving from ball game to ball game or to dance practice or piano or... Whatever happens as the kids get older, are you taking the time to care for yourself? When you're utterly exhausted because you are likely working and you are still likely putting in lots of time for the family and you're going to be battling all of the pulls from all the other places with friends and with things that you want to do and the things you inspire to do and where you thought you would be at this point in life. And so maybe if you work harder, you can get there with all of those things. How are you caring for your own growth? Eunice was committed to knowing God herself. You know, it's interesting that many people who leave the church or kind of walk away from their faith, did you know that the most influential life period in which people walk back into the church is at the birth of a child? And here's what I hear time and time again from parents who walked away from church and then came back when they had a child. We believed that we needed to be in church so that we could make sure our child knew about Jesus. And I always listen to that and I I, kind of have conflicting emotions. One, I'm just impressed and I'm thankful that they've made this decision. But the other is a little bit of fear for them because I recognize that if this is not real for you, no one will make it real for them. And so, as much as we can talk about Jesus, we have to be committed to it ourselves. Committed to a life following Him. And in this case, her reputation preceded her. Number two, what she did, and this has happened in my house, I learned this from my mom, is that Eunice practiced what she preached. I know this is hard, and I've got to be honest. My kids, it's not fair. I I really, it's much better in your house than it is in mine, because I preach a lot. And my kids call me out when I don't practice it. So maybe you don't preach as much as I do. You don't have as many opportunities for your kids to bludgeon you with it. Eunice practiced what she preached. I've watched that in Deidre. I've watched that in my mom. I've watched that in my sister. I've watched that in many of you. She practiced what she preached. Did you know the most dangerous message of the gospel is the one spoken by the person who doesn't practice what they say? If you want to make the gospel worthless, don't practice it, but talk about it. 
You know, that's one of the most dangerous messages that can be out there. I would encourage you, and this comes right back to where are you in your walk with Christ? Are you practicing what you preach? And I don't mean that you practice perfection. Because I don't know a whole lot of perfect moms, but I know a whole lot of moms who think they're supposed to be perfect and then feel guilty when they're not. Because sometimes we need to practice forgiveness. Sometimes we need to practice asking for forgiveness. Sometimes we need to practice admitting our faults. Do you know your children will struggle with failure if they've never seen their parents demonstrate regret over faults and what they did to correct it? We need to let our kids see that. We need to practice what we preach. God never expected you to be the perfect Christian. If that were the case, Jesus wouldn't have to have come. But Eunice practiced what she preached. She was willing to show Timothy what it looked like to follow Jesus. A third thing that I read in this passage is that Eunice passed on what she had learned. And this is tough. And I'll tell you this is tough because there are many things we're trying to pass on to our children. And mothers are trying to fix all the things that dads passed on to the children in addition to passing on the good stuff, right? There's lots of stuff going on in your minds, a lot of things that you're supposed to pass on. You're supposed to teach them how to have good manners, and you're supposed to teach them how to be polite. You're supposed to teach them how to learn and be successful. You're supposed to teach them how to find the right boy, you know, or find the right girl. You've got to teach them the right one. You've got to break the legs of a little boy and girl that are not good enough. I mean, there's a lot of pressure as a parent to do all the right things. We teach them, teaching them all the right things. But Eunice, she passed on what she learned. We read actually later, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's talking to Timothy and he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise from salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, remember what your mom taught you. He didn't learn it from his dad. We don't have any indication his dad was a believer. He would have learned it from Eunice. And Paul wasn't there to teach him these things. Paul taught Timothy many things when he got older, but he was not here to teach him this. Instead, his mother did. We have to pass on those things to our children. And while we will entrust Many different teachers are, entrust our children to many different teachers over their lives. We'll entrust them to coaches. We'll entrust them to instructors. We'll entrust them, some of us, to school teachers. Some of you will take on that role yourself. You'll pass them off to college, and we'll, you'll entrust them to college instructors. You'll entrust them to people that they're around and they work with. There are many people that we will entrust our children to learn from. But most importantly, they must learn from you what it means to know Jesus, to learn those sacred writings, to learn what he says in his word. Because I'll tell you, as a follower of Jesus, my parents taught me many things, but what has followed me through my life are the teachings I find in Scripture that stay with me. I didn't just learn how to deal with a situation when I was a child. I learned how to deal with situations through God's word. My parents were... We found that very important. It is important to us. So important, Proverbs chapter 1 says this, 
parents, about your instruction to children. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Your teaching is vital. What you pass on to them is vital, and no one can do what you have done. Now, I jokingly, half-jokingly say that we set up a counseling fund for all the mistakes we make with our children. I kind of halfway joke about that. There are lessons I've taught my children that I'm not real proud about. I had fun doing it, but I'm not real proud about them. (laughs) There are other lessons I've taught my children I wish I had not. There are times I have to go back and say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Right? That's the, yeah, you'll, that's for later. That's the, that's the after party. That's the after Mother's Day party. Now, the truth is that you're going to teach some incredible lessons, right? You already are. You already have. Some of you, you have already passed the torch. But there are lessons that we regret, Right? I think one of the most vile things the enemy does in this world when it pertains to parenting is to convince a parent, especially a mother, because mothers are so much more sensitive, so much more caring, and one of their roles is to to demonstrate compassion and grace in ways that men can't do it. One of the most vile things the enemy does is to heap guilt on a parent because they weren't perfect. I didn't pass on all the perfect things. And the interesting thing is, is that's life, isn't it? You're, a, you're an adult now. You recognize that in life, I have not always had the perfect life. I've not always made the perfect decisions, and I have at times had great regrets for things I've done in the past. If we never demonstrate that to our children, I'm not saying that you need to purposely teach them bad things, although I have some cool ones that you can do later that are a little, you know, kind of not so bad, but a lot of fun for you. (laughs) If you don't demonstrate to your children what it looks like to be repentant, your children will not have another as good of an example anywhere else in their life. See, when we make mistakes, the enemy says, you are bad full of guilt. Jesus says, I've taken that away. Repent and change and do better. For many of us, what we pass on, even though there is so much good, we dwell on what mistakes we've made. Eunice would have no doubt passed on both. In addition, we finally, I'm going to say something else about that in a minute. What we also find about Eunice, and I think it helps in all of these things, is that Eunice had a support network. Most moms struggle with feeling like they're a good mom. I find that to be true. Although we love these videos like we watched in the beginning, most moms don't feel that way. They want to be better, they don't feel like they're good enough, or they get on Facebook and realize they're the worst mom that's ever lived because everybody else's families are perfect. They have the perfect ideal photos and the kids are dressed. I like the kids, you know, two years old, dress themselves and walk to 
by themselves out to this place. They're all happy and smiling, even though it took 650 takes to get a happy, smiling child. And we look at them and go, but now that's a good mom. And that mom's pulling her hair out because she knows what it took to get that. But she didn't say it. She just posted a picture. She had a support network. She had people to come alongside her. She had her mother. She had a church community. She had other people that were there to help her to do that. Now, if we read through the New Testament and we read through the Old Testament, from the Old Testament on, the, the role of a network in the life of a child was crucial. There was no just individual family that took care of themselves. It was everybody took care of each other. I, I found that to be true when I was growing up to some degree because my parents had people staged all over the city with eyes on me with a direct link to them as soon as I messed up because I'd get home and, hey, I heard you did this. What? Where did you hear that? They had a network. Yet what we struggle with today as parents of young children is feeling like it's just all on us, right? We can't let anybody know what the problems are. We, we got to make sure everything's just perfect and we can't ask anybody else to help. And a lot of times we don't even spend time with other families. So we don't even know what's going on in other families' lives. But a network is crucial. It's so important to have that support network. It's meant to be shared, and we have some wonderful examples this morning of grandparents, great-grandparents, moms, sisters, friends. I really don't know how we would do life without the network that we have around us. If it were just me and Deidre, and for some of you, if it's just you as a single parent, I don't know how you can do it without other people coming alongside of you. There are times we've needed people to say, hey, we're going to come take care of the kids so y'all can have a night out. We don't have to do that now because they're old enough. But there were many days we needed that. And there were times that people could see it in us and we couldn't even see it in ourselves. But because they cared about us, they saw, you need something. And we're there. They need a support network. You need other friends to be around you. And you don't need the perfect moms to be around you because they'll just... They thrive on seeing the failure of others, but you need real people around you that are going to help you through these times. Eunice had a support network. Another thing we see in this story, or not necessarily in the story, I'm going to make this assumption. We're going to, we see this in the story of another probably most famous mother of all religious times, that Eunice likely failed at some point. She was like every other mother that walked the planet. She probably failed. She probably did something wrong. She probably left her child somewhere and drove off and realized she didn't have her child. That was me and our family, but I'm sure that there's some of you women who've done that. Probably, maybe, mostly it's dads, I guess. I remember one time with Jake, I, he was, I don't know, five years old maybe. We were at the beach and... I was in kind of a stressful role at the time, and so I was really decompressing. We were on, I don't know, the 8th or 10th floor of the condo, and uh, we, he and I were going to head down to the beach. We were waiting at the elevator. I walked away from the elevator door to look out over the ocean, thinking about myself, you know, because that's what parents do. And then apparently at some point the door opened and Jake walked in while I gazed at the ocean. 
Next thing I know, Jake's not there. The door is closed, and he's headed down to the first floor by himself. I can remember all the fears immediately. I start yelling for him, and I tell you, by the grace of God, within about three minutes, uh, the doors opened, and there he stood with family. They had come back from the beach grandparents and aunts and uncles, and here was Jake. Of course, me, it was not my parents. It was Deidre's parents, of course. <laughs> you got to have a network. It takes a village, you know. As a church body, when they come into this place, sometimes it's all you can do to get in the door, isn't it? And so for those of us that don't have children in that 7,300 diapers in the first two years range, we can be there to help and to encourage. We can be there to say, hey, if you need a night off, we're here to help. And sometimes, parents, you've got to let them. And sometimes we won't do that. But Eunice likely failed at some point. She's like every other mother. We, we read in Luke chapter 2, and I don't feel so bad about mine because, you know, Mary did this too. It says, now his parents, talk about Jesus, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover... And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast has ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Eh, that sounds like me. <laughs> but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Now, that's a lot worse than me. <laughs> All right. It was like three minutes. Mary, mother of Jesus, the son of God, savior of the world, <laughs> left him for a day. So you people can haven't done this can stop judging me from your seats. Because Mary did it too and God picked her. But supposing him to be in the group, you know what that means? They had a network. This idea that we're supposed to do life as just our little group is nowhere in Scripture. But instead we open up to others who were there with our best at, at heart. Just assumed, ah, he's with, some, he's with that, you know, somebody. And quite honestly, that's how I grew up. It hadn't been that long ago that that's the way we grew up. Oh, he's on his bike somewhere. You know. They began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, I'm looking better all the time. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, (laughs) you know, this is where reading doesn't really convey emotion. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. That's not what she said. But they probably couldn't put in Scripture what she really said. You know, that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be right. You know, you're likely going to fail at some point if you're like every other mother on the face of the planet. And if you're also like every other mother on the face of the planet, you're going to feel guilty for it. Everybody has times that are less stellar. It's not so much the times that we fail, it's what we do when we fail, Right? The best lessons we teach our kids is not how to be perfect because that's an unteachable lesson. The best lessons we teach our kids is how do they deal with adversity in life. And they can't learn that unless they see us go through that ourselves. 
But sometimes we need to give ourselves a break. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. If you're a, if you're a mom, if you're someone who's come alongside in a network, I want to say this. You're not perfect. You're never meant to be. But you are perfectly loved. You do have the Holy Spirit inside of you. God didn't create you to make sure that your kids had a perfect life. But you hold a unique place in their world. You teach them beauty. You teach them love. You teach them compassion. You teach them grace. I want to say to those of you in the room that want so much to be a mom and and that hasn't happened, I want you to know that God didn't give that role just to a few select women who had children. God never meant for us to see family as just our own that came biologically from us. As I look around the room, our, our kids have turned out okay so far. A lot of times as a result of many of you, your involvement, you cared for them, you jerked a knot in them at times they needed it. You don't have to have a biological child to care for children. As I look around the world, there are so many children that need a mom. There's so many children that need that person to teach them beauty, love, compassion, and grace. To care for them when no one else cares. To know that they're loved when they feel unlovable. There are so many children like that. For our family, we've embarked on a journey. Some of you know about others. We'll find out soon. We've embarked on a journey not just to care for our children, but to care for other children that are in crisis. We, uh, a few weeks ago, had the opportunity to have a little boy and a little girl come live with us for a week as an emergency placement as a foster parent. We're not biologically anything to them, but in the time that we had them, we loved them. We showed them grace and mercy. We helped them understand the hurt and pain they're going through. There's so many opportunities to do that in the world. I don't know what the current number is, the number of children right now in our world that need a, what is called a forever home is somewhere in Tennessee in the range of about 9,000 children. 9,000 children. Interestingly enough, there are about 9,000 churches in Tennessee. Every church just took one of those children. All those children would have a home. Mothering is... Certainly beautiful when it's your biological children, but it is so much more than that. I think of our friends that have come alongside that don't have kids who have listened to us and given us wisdom and have watched our kids or taken them places or picked them up when we couldn't make it to all the places we had to get to and we couldn't be parents without them. You were never expected to do this alone. You shouldn't do it alone. God wants you to have others to come alongside you to be with you. I want you to know as a follower of Jesus, just as Eunice and Lois and Mary, 
She wasn't really a follower of Jesus yet, but she would be. You will never be alone. That means at times we're going to have to let our kids fail. Even though that just tears us apart and makes us feel terrible, we're going to have to let our kids fail. It means that we're going to have to trust that God is not just at work in us and that we ensure that they have this perfect manicured world that they live in. We're going to have to trust that God's at work in them. And we don't move so that they answer all the questions right. We teach them in such a way that they can embrace this for themselves and they can hear from God themselves. If I can get my children to the place where they hear God for themselves, I am unnecessary, to be honest. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I know you want for yours. But I also want you to know that through your triumphs and through your failures, for the many times you do everything right and for the few few times that you do wrong, trust that God is working through you because he's teaching lessons through you that he can't teach through anybody else. And he is at work in you. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. I'd like to say happy Mother's Day to all of you. In addition to the roses that we have for, for uh, Christy and for Brittany and I guess for Kevin. I guess Kevin got the rose. but uh, We've got a vase right out the front door. If, if you're a, a woman in the room, we want you to take a rose because uh, the characteristics that you share with all of us are so important to celebrate at this time of year. So I hope that you'll grab one of those. And then let me finally say that we thank you for your sacrifice. We know you sacrifice greatly. We thank you for your willingness to demonstrate the beauty of God through you. So thank you for your love. Thank you for your example. Thank you for being there for the rest of us. And I pray that you will see God at work in you and through you to those around you. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you have given me so many wonderful examples in my life. I thank you for the many wonderful examples in this room. I thank you for those that have taught us what it looks like to make mistakes and to heal from those mistakes. I pray for, or thank you for those who have helped us to avoid the mistakes that we were headed down. Father, I pray that you would help us to see see motherhood as not just taking care of diapers and taking care of the house or whatever stereotypes we have, but it is truly a gift from God to demonstrate part of your spirit that only they can share. Thank you for those gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.